Welcome to the Avenging Hour. I'm Jason. I am John. Yay, we're back. Woo! Another week down. Another week down. And another week down. Another one bites the dust. Hey! Hey! We'll podcast for you. <laughs> Stop it. I ever tell you I'm a huge Queen fan? Really? Yeah. One of the first albums I bought when I was a kid on vinyl was... Oh my uh, gosh, how old are you? Was, what, you're in your 60s, right? Yeah, yeah, pushing the 60s, yeah, sure. I wheeled myself in here today. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get this done quick, because the nurse will be still waiting outside well, to take I, it back to the home. I just figure I'm gonna fall asleep within the next 10 minutes here, so let's go. Uh, previously on The Avenging Hour, we met Red Wolf. We made fun of Red Wolf. <laughs> Red Wolf went away. Then those kooky Zodiac guys tried to take over Manhattan with about two dozen lackeys toting gas guns. That charade ended abruptly when Thor incinerated their leader. And now, <laughs> episode 38. I mean, he did. Well, I guess. We have uh, two issues today. Two issues today. Just we're going to start. We're, we're going to stretch it out. We're going to take it slow. start with the... Have you seen the, the trailer for Zootopia? I you have. You can be like the sloth. Oh, the sloth at the DMV. Uh, Avengers number 83 is from December of 1970. It is by Roy Thomas and John Buscema, and it is called Come On In, The Revolution's Fine. The wonderful Wasp has returned to Avengers Mansion by herself. Maybe she wanted to get in early and get a start on making the coffee for everyone. She goes right up and enters through the front door and... No, I'm kidding. Of course she doesn't go through the front door. She instead shrinks down to Wasp size and enters through a secret panel at the side of the mansion. She hears voices from the meeting room and decides to pop in and surprise everyone. However, the surprise is on the other foot, as the Wasp is greeted with the sight of three women sitting around the Avengers meeting table and another woman standing at the front of the table. Four women in Avengers mansion? Either Wasp stumbled into one of Tony Stark's parties or something is clearly off here. The blonde at the head of the table wearing Madonna's cone bra introduces herself as the Valkyrie, noting that the Scarlet Witch... Black Widow, in a nifty new costume that she apparently got from the same tailor that reworked the Grim Reaper's duds, and Madame Medusa are also present. Wanda explains that the mansion is now the headquarters of their new female group, called the Liberators. The Valkyrie decides to get things started by relating her own origin to the Wasp. Apparently, the Valkyrie was a scientist-type woman, but she was never taken seriously by her male colleagues. While working late one night, she passed out over some chemicals, and when she awoke, she found she had superhuman strength. She decided to become the Valkyrie to let the world know that men suck. Medusa would like a little more detail on how men suck, and why the Liberators are enemies of the Avengers, and Valkyrie is more than happy to oblige explaining that the male members of the team are constantly sidelining the women and showing them no respect. The women find this argument hard to refute, mostly because it's 100% true, so they agree to go help her beat up the male Avengers, and then they have a list of other male heroes they'd like to teach a lesson to, if everyone's still up for it. The ladies pile into a chariot of the Valkyries that's pulled by flying horses, and off they go. Meanwhile, in Rutland, Vermont, a costume party is happening where all the local geeks and nerds <clears throat> I mean, citizens are dressed as Marvel heroes and villains. The actual male Avengers show up at the party to investigate a kidnapping plot against a Dr. Irwin, and they are fawned over by the populace and given a slot in the local parade. But all is not as innocent as it seems. The Masters of Evil, without Ultron, are lurking in Rutland and waiting for their chance to attack the heroes and do the very kidnapping that brought the Avengers to town. The villains try to be sneaky about it, but they're idiots, and soon a huge fight breaks out. The Masters of Evil are doing quite well, knocking the male Avengers all over the place, when suddenly the Liberators arrive. The Liberators attack the Masters, kicking batty butt all over New England. The male Avengers are thrilled to see their rescuers, but are less happy when the women start targeting them for some butt kicking. The women roll over the Avengers as easily as they did the Masters of Evil, and then Valkyrie declares that they should head to the nearby university with Dr. Irwin. Once at the university, Dr. Irwin shows the group his latest invention, a parallel time projector, and when Valkyrie sees it, she goes a teensy bit nutso, changing her form and revealing herself to be 
the Enchantress. See, the Enchantress is upset because the Executioner, a guy she never really even liked, dumped her for another woman. Angry and with her power halved by Odin, she thinks this device will allow her to go home with all her powers restored. She prepares to destroy, well, everyone I guess, but Wanda hexes her, the Enchantress's spell backfires, seemingly destroying her, and everything goes back to normal, including Clint being the biggest misogynist in the group. The end. Alrighty, so our roll call this issue of, of theoretically, the Avengers would be the Vision, Black Panther, Goliath, and Quicksilver. Theoretically, they are our core Avengers. Our villains are the Masters of Evil, which would be Claw, the Melter, Whirlwind, and the Radioactive Man, plus the Enchantress. But we also see Wasp, Valkyrie, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, Medusa, and in flashback, both Odin and the Executioner. So much to talk about in this issue. Let's see, a couple of things. First of all, this is the first appearance of Madame Medusa in the Avengers comics, or as we like to call her, just Medusa. When she first appeared, her first appearance is in Fantastic Four number 36 back in March of 1965. And when she first appeared, she was a villain, and they called her Madame Medusa. I don't know why, except for the fact that Stanley likes alliteration. Madame Medusa originally appears as a member of the Frightful Four, which are the Fantastic Four's arch enemies, I guess. Yeah. She has superhuman hair. They sit with an awesome power. <laughs> her hair is really long, and it's super strong, hard to break, and she can manipulate it like a prehensile tail. Yes, she has prehensile hair. Prehensile hair. She worked with the Frightful Four. Apparently, she had amnesia. We find out that Medusa is a member of the royal family of the Inhumans, much like Crystal who we saw at Hank and Jen's wedding. Right. Uh, she is actually married. She's the queen of the Inhumans, married to their ruler, Black Bolt. She was running around as a villain for a while because she had a memory loss. And was she like Patty Hearst? The old amnesia. But she gets her memory back. And uh, at this point in time, by the time that she's in this issue, she had already filled in for, I believe, she had either already filled in for Sue Richards on the Fantastic Four or would soon fill in for her on the Fantastic Four. I think she's the only new character we see this issue. Well, what about Valkyrie? Uh, yes. <laughs> Valkyrie. This is technically the first appearance of the Valkyrie. And what we find out this issue is that the Enchantress had... What do we find out this issue about the Valkyrie? Oh, it is a horrible origin story. It, it is, is. probably the dumbest origin story I've ever read. Yeah, it's really bad. Where she's working for some scientist and he tells her to do something and she gets mad. And but that's she... not her real origin. No, no. That's what it is in, the, in this Oh, story. yeah, yeah. That's a horrible origin. It's stupid. But we find out in this issue that the Enchantress actually has... Oh, no, we don't find that out this issue, no, do we? Nope. We, so, okay, that's right. At this point in time, we don't that's know... That's all we know about the Valkyrie. All we know about the Valkyrie... As far as we know, the Valkyrie doesn't exist. The Valkyrie is just a form and name that the Enchantress took. Right. We will find out down the road in the Marvel Universe that the Valkyrie is a real, actual person. She will be back in the Avengers in about... 20 or 30 issues for the Avengers Defenders War. So we can talk about her more then. So, the Wasp is the only one that knows about her secret entrance into the mansion. She came in through like a heating grate or something. I... It's a secret panel, a secret pane known to none but her. So did she install it? I... <sighs> And, and why is she at the mansion? She, she said she came to New York to see an ailing aunt. But then she goes to Avengers Mansion. Is Jarvis her ailing aunt? Look, I knew something was up as soon as Jan appeared on the first page. Because there's no way that Hank would have let her go back to the Avengers without him. <laughs> you think she snuck out? It all just feels too weird. You know, we, we have the benefit of decades of comic reading and learning the tendencies of the comics industry and what's going on in these stories. It was fairly easy for me, at least. I'm assuming fairly easy for you as well. Within the first couple pages here, for us to realize that this is either an alternate universe or something was going on that was odd. Because the Scarlet Witch, we don't, we don't theoretically as Avengers readers know who Medusa is. No. And the Black Widow can be a little whatever. Yeah, but, but there's no way that Wasp and the Scarlet Witch are going to go along with the 
let's beat up on the male Avengers plan. Right, it was just a strange thing. But I wonder, readers back in this time, you know, not having the benefit of the internet and all this other stuff, if this was, like, intriguing to them? You know, I think there's so many weird things that happened in these comics that they probably were just, like, taking it at face value. I would guess. I don't know. I go into some of these books, going back to older books, and, like, well, this book started out really weird. Like, we have a... There's an issue that we'll handle in a week or two where um, stuff happens at the beginning of the book that has absolutely nothing to do with... Well, we talked about that phenomenon before, how the Avengers... The opening scene has nothing to do with the rest of the story. But there's an issue coming up where things happen that you don't learn, like, what's going on in the issue until you're in the back half of the issue. It's kind of like a reverse storytelling thing. I don't know if people were just used to that in the 70s. It kind of struck me as weird. I think it's a way of trying to draw the readers in. So that they're going, what is this? Right. This makes right. no sense. What's going on? Why is that person going along with that? But yeah, it definitely seemed like an alternate universe or some mind control, which I guess it kind of turned out to be. Yes, it was kind of mind control, and we didn't really mention it. With This will turn out, I didn't mention it in my summary, because my summary was long enough as far as I was concerned. But the Enchantress is performing small mind control on the women to get them to go along with her. But she, at one point in time, says, call someone wench. Yeah, I caught that during the story, too. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why would she call her a wench? And apparently, I think she called her the Wasp. I think it was the Wasp she called her a wench. Or Scarlet. Witch, one of the it wasn't Scarlet Witch, but Scarlet Witch heard her say that, and apparently the Enchantress had called the Scarlet Witch a wench in some previous issue. Right, yeah, she says that at the end of the issue. In right? the same way. That's how she knew. Yeah, it's a little, that's a little shaky. But it's all a little shaky. I mean, Valkyrie, <laughs> well, quote-unquote Valkyrie, her examples of the male chauvinism were pretty weak at best. She blames Yellow Jacket for punching a guy in the face when he was at full height and Jan was flying in behind him at wasp size. Why wouldn't he do that? I thought she blamed him for taking the credit. No, the one she blamed Quicksilver for how a reporter wrote up a story that said, you know, Quicksilver and his sister. Like, it was an afterthought. That's not Quicksilver's fault. But she has a really good point with the Black Widow, where she says, why did they never make you an Avenger? They made the Black Panther an Avenger. They made the freaking Vision an Avenger, who they didn't know anything about. Nobody was vouching for the Vision, and they're like, hey, do you want to join the team? You just tried to kill us, but come join the team. The Black Widow... Was was dating Hawkeye yeah. and had helped save the team how many times and they never offered her membership. My theory on that is the big problem is she was dating Hawkeye and we have come to learn that Goliath is a complete idiot. <laughs> so if he was pushing for her to be a member of the team, they're probably like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to anything that guy says. <laughs> I don't know. I actually believe the Valkyrie. I thought the Valkyrie... And I thought, like, her example from Medusa was like, oh, you just, your your husband doesn't even, like, it just, and it made Medusa go, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, really? You needed someone else to say that to you to realize that you do whatever your husband and he doesn't even, whatever your husband wants you to do and he doesn't even talk to you? You didn't realize that? You know, I, I just think that, I don't know, I guess because I recognize how much chauvinism there is in this book, I'm, oh, on, the, yeah. I'm on the Valkyrie side, even if these may not have been the best examples yeah, of, I, the, of the chauvinism that's in the book. Again, I think it's kind of a forced topic, and I'm wondering if it was because Roy Thomas was getting letters about <laughs> the chauvinism they were showing in stories. I do want to give a big hurrah for the fact that we finally have the Black Widow in a real costume. Right? Yeah, she's got her skin tight leather thing on. Yes, with her widow's bites. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a simple black costume, but it's it looks so much better than what she's been wearing. It looks better than the masquerade slumber party outfit that she had on before. And I also have to uh, point out the ad on page four. That is an awesome ad. Which is, take a money-making psychedelic lift. I don't know, what 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 does that even mean, a money-making psychedelic um, it lift? It looks like you can make your own lava lamps or something. Oh, my stars and garters, really? I want to make you're my supposed own... to sell them to people? But there's music involved as well. The walls and ceilings explode with light and music, with sound and color, beating and throbbing together in seemingly perfect harmony. It's an ad for the Love Light psychedelic lamp. That is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. 
Halloween. I love it and want one. Do you think this coupon's still good? <laughs> Probably, yes. I'm going to send it in. I saw an ad in an issue later on that it was uh, one of those pages that has a bunch of little ads on it. And one of them was to buy a uh, raccoon kit cubs or puppies or whatever they're called. And I was like, really? <laughs> I wonder if that guy still has those. It was from Kissimmee, Florida. I'm like, yeah, I'm buying a raccoon from Florida. Yo, yeah, I'm there. Um, I think the wasp is a little behind the times since she, um, when she first comes into the meeting, calls it a powder puff protest meeting, which I thought seemed like kind of a yeah. Well, it's you a know, snarky. you figure she's she's been around the Avengers with their male chauvinism. She's probably got like PT- she's PTSD about it. Yeah, <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Uh, it's, it just seemed a little condescending to herself. When we get into the section where the, I'm not even sure. Well, why is the team in Rutland, Vermont? Why, why did uh-huh. they go there? Let's is, talk is there an explanation about that? Because they heard that Dr. Irwin might be kidnapped. Oh, right. You did say that in your write-up. But let's talk about Rutland, Vermont. Let's talk about Rutland, Vermont. First of all, screw Roy Thomas for writing himself and his wife into this story. Yeah. So, Rutland, Vermont is a real place. It is. And Tom Fagan, who's uh, portrayed as the parade organizer here, is a real person. Yes. Rutland, Vermont has the largest and longest running Halloween parade in the United States. Yeah. Uh, it was started in 1959 and that parade was kind of lackluster. And so Tom Fagan went to the first, or went to the Rutland Recreation Department and said, we should have a theme for the parade. And because it's Halloween and because these are creatures of the night, we should have Batman as our parade marshal to lead off the parade. And these people were basically like, we're local officials in a, in a small town. We don't get paid for this. Just do whatever you want. <laughs> We don't care. Get out of here. <laughs> um, so he basically, he wrote a letter to Detective Comics saying Batman was now the leader of the Rutland Halloween Parade and we were establishing a tradition. And then Fagan started doing, um, in, in 1960, they had a Batman float. And then Fagan started writing to the letters, columns from DC and to Marvel. He got to know some of these comics creators and he started bringing in more and more different comic book characters to be in the parade. And all of these comics creators decided that they would return the favor by writing Rutland and their annual Halloween parade into their comics. Danny O'Neill wrote a Batman issue here. Uh, Steve Englehart does an amazing adventure story here with the Beast. Gary Conway does a JLA issue yeah, and, and those, a Thor issue. And I believe the JLA and the Amazing Adventures ones are technically the first Marvel DC crossover because I think they take place the same year at the same Halloween parade. Well, that's possible. I know that I I, I could have sworn there was also a Marvel team up that was set here as well. Um, so, one with the Salem Seven. No, I thought it was one with Doctor Doom, but I could be wrong. So anyway, it's interesting in this issue that the character of Tom Fagan is dressed up as Nighthawk because he traditionally dressed up as Batman. Yes, but the the Marvel. I guess equivalent of Batman is Nighthawk, so he dressed as Nighthawk in this issue. I think what you mean. I think what you mean to say is the Marvel complete ripoff of Batman <laughs> is Nighthawk. Uh, so yeah, so that's why they're there. And I, you know, get, don't get me wrong. First of all, I love Vermont. It is my favorite state in the country, probably. I just find this a little bit. Um, what's right. the, uh, it's it's a little bit. Uh, Rutland, Vermont currently has a population around 16,000 people. So the Avenger, I mean, I don't know what the population was in 1970. The Avengers go there. The Masters of Evil go there. The Lady Liberators are really? Everybody's yeah. going to be in this Everybody tiny little town in, in Vermont. Well, and here's what really gets me. So they're, they're there to get um, Dr. Irwin, who works at Miskatonic University. Miskatonic University is not a real place. Isn't that from uh, like H.P. Lovecraft? It's from H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. So Vermont 
has the distinction of having, I believe, more universities and colleges per capita than any other state in the country. There are, you can't walk five feet without tripping over some sort of, of secondary educational venue. Why in the world would you make up a fake university when you're using a real town and real people? Well, all the schools in Marvel are fake. There's no Empire State University. No, but there's no New York City either. Okay, maybe there is. But there's no... <laughs> but, there's, but there's no... I mean, this it's just that they rooted this issue so much in reality, so such as it is, by using a real play, people, and by using a real place, why would you use a real university? I don't know. It, maybe there's some copyright infringement or something. You can use the name of a city, but you can't use a... Because, I mean, they have... Why don't they use the name of, like, IBM or Microsoft? Or they have Stark Industries. They have their own companies. Yeah, well, that makes sense, because Stark Industries is... Instead of Exxon, like... Well, you, you use Roxxon instead of Exxon because Roxxon's trying to take over the world. Well, or, you know, they've got supervillains in their back and call. You don't want to be sued. Do they think one of the universities would, would sue them if they, if they thought that people were creating parallel dimensional... Here's the thing. It's a safety issue because if people read this issue and think, and they place, place it at, you know, University of Vermont, then some idiot that read the comic is going to try and break into the University of Vermont science lab to steal the time travel machine that's not really there. The real <laughs> masters of evil will descend on. <laughs> right. Gene Thomas, as you mentioned, Roy and Gene Thomas are in this issue as well, and uh, Gene Thomas makes a reference to Mrs. She, she's all excited the Avengers are there, and she says, the Avengers, oh wow, which one of you is Mrs. Peel? <laughs> right. Which is actually a funny line that Roy Thomas got in there, of course, she's referring to the British television show, The Avengers. And this, making fun of the fact that she has no idea what her husband does. Uh, page 10, the Melter's gun turns concrete into like a tar type substance. Right, because that's what concrete starts out as. I don't understand how that works. And I, I noticed the radioactive man is still using his glue gun. I'm sorry, cement gun. It's a cement gun. Good yes. grief. Why are we insistent on giving this per, the most powerful member of this team a gun that shoots some sort of glue? What do you want him to do? I want him give to give everyone cancer. cancer. <laughs> Look, you made a character named the radioactive man. Deal with those consequences. The funny thing is, a character like the radioactive man back in the 60s, you would think he would fire a beam at someone and suddenly they'd have superpowers. Isn't that how everything <laughs> <laughs> you would think the panther oh my gosh the panther's horrible he says but I when when the liberators attack him he says but I don't fight women even super powered ones you know what hit him guys hit him, <laughs> hit him a second time he deserves it well to be fair neither of them are super powered Valkyrie declares that they have a war cry yes it's awesome their war cry is up against the wall male chauvinist pigs this is not as catchy as Avengers Assemble no it's a little wordy I think they need to workshop that a little bit more she also has a power lance no, we don't ever see that again. No, that is not part of the Valkyrie's power set, so I'm not sure where that came from. Well, technically, it's not really the Valkyrie set. How true. Last, I think the last thing I have, the Enchantress's story for why she's doing this, and this is why I believe you may be right that Roy Thomas is writing this, because he's gotten letters about the sexist nature of the book, not because he suddenly had an epiphany about the opposite sex. Right. Because the Enchantress is doing all of this because she's mad that she was spurned by the Executioner. Who she never paid attention who to. Who she never liked. And I'm pretty sure he tried to Many times, her a couple times. And... Many times she always spurned him. So it makes her seem uh, fickle and it makes her seem like she has no agency. She's only doing this because a man did something which is kind of the opposite to of her, her point. Yes. Uh, so it doesn't it doesn't work at all. Why don't, why don't we read the dialogue from the last panel there between Goliath and uh, Scarlet Witch? Who would you like to be, Goliath or Scarlet Witch? Uh, oh, I'll be Goliath, of course. You birds finally learned your lesson about that women's lib bull. That's what you think, male chauvinist pig. <laughs> One of these days the liberators will stage a comeback. 
Right, Jan? <laughs> oh so my gosh, sad. Goliath, you're the best. <laughs> oh, righty, Rue. Bullpen bulletins. Bullpen bulletins. Uh, production manager Saul Brodsky, sometimes described as Stan Lee's right-hand man, has left the company to start his own publishing venture. Guess what? He'll be back in a couple months. It does not go well. Oh, poor soul. We mentioned Mark Avanier many, many moons ago. He's the one that came up with the the titles for the Marvel Letters pages. That's why everyone's got MMS and FFA. and Mighty Marvel Marching Society. Yes, he came up with those titles. He is now the editor of their new uh, Marvel Mania International Fan Magazine. Sure, yeah, we talked about that when we talked about Marvel Mania. Uh, But they mentioned the bullpen bulletins page, and again, he'll be a professional writer. I don't think he ever touches the Avengers, but we'll... He'll be be around for a while, for a long while, still around. They also mentioned that Bernie Wright and Rich Buckler have joined Marvel. I believe they're doing horror stuff because, you know, that's what they do. And they mentioned that Roy and Jean were in Rutland, Vermont, which I believe we found out later on they weren't in Rutland, Vermont. Something went wrong and they actually weren't able to make it there that year. I'm pretty sure one of the other letters pages is like, no, they didn't make it. Uh, Stan Soapbox, it's gibberish. It really is. It's some gibberish about how they weren't going to do continued storylines and then they were and now they're not and then they are again and I don't know what he was talking about. Well, he's saying that we said that we weren't going to do continued stories. We were going to try and make every story completed unto itself. And then he was like, well, that didn't work. So we went back to continued stories. And he's like, so we're, st- we're doing continued stories. And we told you we were going to do continued stories. Yeah. And yet we still keep getting letters asking us to do continued stories. Right. So now he wants to bring in someone to write some sort of lawyerly script that explains, you know, that they're indemnified against what, what he's talking about. Honestly, <laughs> and for, honestly, for true, most of these stand soapboxes seem to be Stan complaining about the readers. <laughs> Thinly veiled. Yeah. It's just that he puts so many words in the other readers are like, oh, that's Stan. Right. But really, he's like, oh my God, people, will you stop sending me letters? <laughs> letters. Speaking of letters. Speaking of them. Um, I got about a third of the way through that first letter by, by John Witten of Bossier City, Louisiana. It's a very long letter. I, I realized about a third of the way through it that he was probably very racist, and if I read any more, it would make me greatly uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, basically, he's responding to the very long letter about the Sons of the Serpent issues. From the was, black writer yes. that Roy Thomas had responded to. As yes. Well, but he's doing it with his own flavor. I will again applaud the fact that Marvel is allowing this discussion to happen in the letters pages. Um, but I don't want to read it. No, I don't really either. And I don't know that he really made any good points. I do like their um, their response to it is basically, again, we're doing the best we can. We may not always be doing it particularly correct. We may not always be doing everything right. We may sometimes make some mistakes, but we are trying. Hey, fair enough. I don't know what more you can ask for. Uh, Wayne Hall of Taylor, Pennsylvania, seems to have a problem with Marvel using phrases like good lord and oh my god in their comics. He says, that's, he says that's cussing. That is just some good old-fashioned conservatism right there. It really is. But we know this man's insane because he says <laughs> Sal Buscema is a better artist than John Buscema. <laughs> so obviously he's on some sort of medication. He's touched. He is. Uh, oh, and I have one more. Jeff Williams of Idaho says that, of course, the vision quit because the other Avengers are constantly reminding him that he's an android. But they're constantly saying things like, hey, robot, and hey, android, and... How you doing, wires? Um, <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> and he's like, you know, all the vision, the vision keeps saying, I'd like to be treated as a human. I wish I was human. I don't want to be an android. And they're constantly being like, hey, how's it going, wheels? And what's up, motorhead? And, you know. You know, that happens to me all the time. 
every day when I go into work, someone looks at me and goes, hey, human. And I always get, I get so depressed because I don't want to be a human. I, I'd have to go back and look. I mean, I completely believe him when he says the Avengers are incredibly self-centered and are com- constantly saying things to the Vision that would hurt his feelings. I can't remember them ever saying something directly to the Vision or even while the Vision was in the room. They may say things to each other about, well, he's an android and he can do this, or, but I don't ever remember them going, hey, android, can you get me my giant cup of coffee? <laughs> Wasn't there a couple of issues ago where they're all like, well, us humans are going to go drink tea, but why don't you androids stay out here? But you're an android; you don't need to drink stuff. Yeah, android. I think they, I think they, they had, they had labeled like bathrooms for androids only. And you can't drink out of this drinking fountain, android. You have to use that one over you there. You can't sit at the table with us. Your table's over there. You have to use the hose in the yard. MVP. Uh, my, my MVP is Scarlet Witch. I agree. Woo! She's she's been kicking a little bit of butt here in the last the last ten issues. She's finally coming into her own. Yeah, it's funny because I would not have thought she'd come into her own before Jan did but she's coming in she's the I think the first woman who's slowly well it's helped that she stopped fainting and they got her away from draperies so yes anytime you can get her out of the house she can prove her worth useless character my useless character is wasp even on a team of only females I think Goliath I'm really beginning to dislike this man yeah he's bad um, but the wasp is a good one I like that is this an Avengers level threat no well, I'm not sure who the threat is. If we're talking, what if we're talking just the Masters of Evil? Those Masters of Evil? No. Oh, really? I think they are. Melter and Claw are Our not Melter. <laughs> not Melter. <laughs> not Melter. Claw and Radioactive Man are, are a threat. I don't know. They don't ever seem to do anything that maybe... I think that Claw could be a threat. I think Whirlwind's probably the biggest threat, and they've never caught him. Jason, concrete gun. I know. Concrete gun. Well, you're saying the Melter's not a threat. He's got a gun. Yeah, but he just turns concrete to tar. Radioactive could be... Radioactive man could be a threat if he realized, you know, maybe I should live up to my name. You think the con- Of course, then he's going to give somebody radioactivity. They're not going to notice it until, like, years later. You know, they could be a really effective team, because the, con- the Melter will go around... And turn the concrete into tar. Right. And then the the radioactive man will come on this concrete gun and repair everything. Just put down a new sidewalk. They can just confuse everyone. Just constantly yeah. concrete, tar, concrete, tar. Final grade? I gave it a I gave it a B minus. It was um, somewhat confusing, but it was an entertaining story. I gave it a C plus. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, this isn't a horrible issue. Um, the ending falls apart. Yeah. But up to that, it's fun to see the ladies doing something. Yeah, I guess. And the whole Rutland-Vermont thing and the Masters of Evil is just kind of a silly thing. It is a silly thing. Shall we move on? We shall. We're into 1971 now. Already we're into 71. It seems like just yesterday we were in the 60s. No, that was just last week. And we're (laughs) in the 70s already. Oh, no, wait. That was a couple weeks ago, wasn't it? All right. Issue. Issue 84, January 1971. This one is uh, Roy Thomas and... John Buscema, right? Yes. Still John? Yep, still John. And it is called The Sword and the Sorceress. Evidently, Black Knight can breathe in space. At least I think it's space. Wherever he is, there's some crazy stars in the sky, and he looks like he's landing on the surface of the moon. Clearly, we've stumbled into the middle of a story again. We learn that Dane is trying to figure out if he controls his sword or if the ebony blade controls him. He finds some tiny volcano called the Well at the Center of Time and tries to thrust his sword into its molten core but the weapon refuses to go. Before Black Knight can spend too much time feeling sorry for himself, an army of soldiers on winged dragons approaches. He begins to fight them, but is quickly overwhelmed when their leader attacks. And who is this powerful leader? Why, none other than Archon the Magnificent. Well, he says he was magnificent, right? Mediocre. As Dane falls to his doom below, Scarlet Witch bolts upright in bed and wonders if it was all a dream. In what can only be described, described as creepy... 
Every male Avenger immediately bursts into her room to see if she's okay. Her brother, I could understand, what with him being fast and all, but the, were the others hiding in her closet or something? <laughs> anyway, Wanda explains her dream and the team scratches their collective chins. Quicksilver makes a call to Garrett Castle in England and learns that the Black Knight's butler has no idea where he is. Knowing the quickest way to Archon's world is through Thor, Black Panther runs off to find him. Back on Archon's world, we see Enchantress serving as an unofficial advisor to Archon as he debates what to do with Black Knight who he believes is a spy sent to, I don't know, learn how to survive without ever putting on a shirt, steal some loincloths. Enchantress offers to cast a true spell on Dane, which consists of kissing him, poor guy. Forced to speak the truth, Dane tells us some blah blah stuff about jewel thieves and his sword and talking to Sir Percy and getting transported to Archon's world by some old dude at Stonehenge. Since he didn't mention any spying stuff, Archon assumes Enchantress's spell didn't work. She warns him that if Black Knight is here, the Avengers will surely soon follow. Bah, says Archon. I'll attack them first. So, as Thor and Black Panther zip towards the mansion, it poofs out of existence replaced by the cackling face of Enchantress, warning them not to follow. Of course they do, because, duh. The rest of the team pops out of the mansion to face Archon's army on his world, but something is wrong with their powers. Nothing works correctly, and they're soon captured and shackled. Turns out, Enchantress casts some goofy spells on them before they arrived, Seems unfair. The team is pretty peeved that Black Knight is standing with the Enchantress instead of being helpless prisoners like the rest of them, but Wanda quickly realizes he's under the Asgardian Witch's spell. There's a quick exchange between Archon and Scarlet Witch, where she tells him off again. He then orders the team taken up to a tower or something. But here come Thor and Black Panther. Thor starts smashing everyone while Black Panther rushes off to free the others, but no one will listen to him. They all just tell him how hopeless it all is. Somehow, he interprets this as them being brainwashed to do what anyone tells them to do, so he suggests they free themselves and somehow that works. That magic is lamer than David Blaine at a kid's bar mitzvah. With the rest of the team free, more smashing commences. Scarlet Witch draws all the Enchantress's attention, which frees Black Knight from his spell. Enchantress bugs out, Black Knight chases Archon, who whips a lightning bolt at him and sends the Ebony Blade free-falling into that lava well anyway. Problem solved, I guess. Realizing Black Knight was telling the truth the entire time, Archon lets the Avengers go. The end. I hate Archon. Roll call! Goliath, Vision, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Black Panther, Black Knight, and Thor. Our villains are Enchantress and Archon, and we also get a little scene with Sir Percy of Scandia in flashback mode. And, uh, I guess, Black Knight's butler. Oh, I don't know who he is. I think his name is Carruthers. Really? He's so unimportant. <laughs> I have no notes on this. Nothing at all, because it's Archon. I have very, very little on this issue. Um, but So we will go through this very quickly. The Ebony Blade plot. You know, one of the problems we have as we're doing these issues is... We've been reading the Avengers comics since the 80s. So we've read 30-some years of Avengers comics. And we know the Black, White, the Black Knight and his travails. So, and, and, you know, sometimes it can be hard to divorce what we know will happen from what we're seeing for the first time. And that has never been more true for me than in this issue. Because the Black Knight, and I talked about this before when we talked about the Black Knight and the Ebony Blade. It seems like the most popular Black Knight plot is the Ebony Blade is cursed. The curse affects the Black Knight badly. And we see this done again and again and again over the years. So while this is one of the first times in it. I'm sick of it already. <laughs> it is his only power. I don't understand why it needs to be so cursed. Where was this coming up from before? Do we know? Do we know where this idea started? Was it just here in the Avengers? Or I think was he somewhere else that the blade was starting to affect him? No. Or is it just because of this flashback scene that we see with the jewel thieves and the helicopter? And... I think so. Okay. So yeah, I don't, I don't really get that. I, I don't really like that. I find that kind of annoying. What are the odds that the well at the center of time would be on Archon's world? 
It seems a little a little um, hard to take in. Also, um, Archon moves the entire mansion to his world. Sure. How does he do that? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Quicksilver insists on continuing to use this rolling himself into a ball attack. The pinball move. I do not understand the pinball move. He is super. He's super fast because he runs super fast. If he's got his legs curled up to his chest... How is he generating any momentum? And why is he not black and blue all over with broken arms and legs from this move? It was one thing when they did it once or twice, but he keeps doing it. He, he'll do it again in an issue next week as well. Where does he get the propulsion from? It drives me, it's driving me crazy. So at the end of the issue, it looks like Dane's destroyed the Ebony Blade. Yeah. That's not, what? I mean, that's odd. First of all, it's like, what was a couple issues ago when Swordsman, uh, his sword yeah. got destroyed and we were like, oh, okay. We know the Dane will have the Ebony Blade back. Second of all, if he does destroy the Ebony Blade, does this mean he's, re- he's retiring? Because he has nothing else. Right. Then he's just a guy wearing a stupid suit of armor. Then that's it. He could, <laughs> be, he could be like the Cavalier from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. He could just have a shield. But he doesn't have a shield. But then he'd just be Captain America in armor. Yeah, right? What he yeah, we know what that looks like. <laughs> oh, gosh, let's pretend we don't. I have nothing else. Oh, cool. I really don't. Bullpen bulletins? Uh, Stan Soapbox is kind of interesting this time. Uh, he talks about why they chose to cancel the Silver Surfer comic. Uh, evidently, it was losing money, and they had to decide whether to change the stories to appeal to a younger audience. Uh, I guess they thought that their things, their ideas were too lofty and too poetic, and they figured the way that they could sell more issues is to dumb it down, but they chose not to do that, so they canceled it instead. Yeah, that might be a little bit of rationalization there. Yeah, yeah. I think the Silver Surfer didn't sell well. is because it was a horrible book. I've read it. I've just... read all 19 issues. They're not... Or 18 issues. They're not good. Uh... Stan wrote it and in an even more verbose style than he normally employs. I've never been a huge fan of the Silver Surfer, and anytime you take him away from the other heroes and put him out in some world with just like aliens, it's just not all that interesting. Steve Englehart did a good Silver Surfer. I liked his Silver Surfer run. And um the one from the eighties? What's the one from the eighties? I think that's early nineties when Steve Englehart did it. And I enjoyed uh Jim Starlin's Silver Surfer more often than not. But that's about it. But they put him together usually with other Yes intergalactic wasn't hero types. And he was alone in the Stan Lee run. He was just it was yeah, a total he had no supporting cast. They mentioned in the Bullpen Bulletins that uh John Buscema is leaving the Avengers to pencil the Fantastic Four and will be replaced by Sal Buscema. Great. That makes me very, very sad. <laughs> but I know, luckily, that Sal Buscema won't be around for that long. They also mentioned that Roy Thomas spent three weeks in England, which is maybe why we see the Black Knight this issue. I'm starting to think everything that he does has something to do with that, that month's comic. And it says that they are... They've given up on not using exclamation points. We talked about this in a former issue where they were like, we're not, you know, people complain about us using exclamation, too many exclamation points. We're going to start using periods and blah, blah, blah. And now they're like, you people don't care what we use to punctuate our sentences. So we're going to use whatever we feel like. That's uh, it. Letters. Letters. Uh, you want me to do the, the creator letter that's Go in here? Go for it. Uh, Mike W. Barr from Akron, Ohio talks about how much he likes the fact that any member of the Avengers can show up in any issue, which I agree is great. He then goes on to say how cool Man Ape is and how he can't wait to see more of the Split Second Squad, which I disagree with completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, Mike W. Barr is a noted comics writer, uh, having worked extensively on Batman stories for DC. Uh, some of his stories were even adapted into episodes of the critically acclaimed Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Barr did some work for Marvel, not a lot, uh, in the early 80s and then again in the early 90s, uh, primarily for anthology titles, Marvel Team-Up and things like that. Uh, though he did write Solo Avengers number 8, which we should get to sometime in like 2018. Yeah, he um, he also uh, wrote the Camelot 3000 miniseries with Brian 
Nolan, okay. which is relatively well known. Yeah, he's um, definitely more of a, a DC guy. Oh yeah, he wrote uh, Batman and the Outsiders, wrote yeah. and then wrote The Outsiders for years. He also wrote the Son of the Demon graphic novel, one of the first graphic novels. And the Son of the Demon graphic novel is the one that introduced Damian Wayne, Batman's son, oh, really? who becomes such a big deal in uh, Grant Morrison's run <laughs> in the late aughts. And he wrote some Star Trek. He wrote a lot of Star Trek comics. He wrote, he, he wrote an issue of Star Wars for Marvel, too. Um, and as you say, his letter calls for the return of the split second squad, so he obviously started using drugs at a very young age. <laughs> Our MVP. Uh, my MVP for this issue is Thor. I picked Black Panther for getting Thor. <laughs> Last time when I said Daredevil, you're like Black Panther because he got Daredevil. <laughs> uh, useless character. Uh, Quicksilver. Uh, well, I pick Goliath. I think he's becoming the new Wasp. Uh, is this Avengers level threat? No. I don't think if it was Archon alone, I would say no. But I think Archon and the Enchantress together are an Avengers level threat. Yeah, but they're not working together really. Kind she's of. trying and he's kind of ignoring her. I think Archon was more of a threat last time when he had, you know, a handheld nuclear weapon. <laughs> and old Greybeard to help him out. Right. Uh, final grade. I gave it a C minus. I went C+. Plus not impressed, really. It's kind of pointless, and I'm not an Archon fan, so... Yeah. Wow, so this is our 15-minute episode, so we'll... It's a little short, but we'll be all right. Well, yes, because next week, we're doing four, count them, four issues. More issues than ever before in one episode. Yeah, we have to talk really fast. Or just realize that I don't have any notes on those issues. <laughs> so, so much to look forward to. Because, and the reason we're getting these four issues out of the way next time, is because after that, we have the first... Huge, huge Avengers plot line. Huge. The huge, the first. It's huge. It's classy. It's luxurious. It's the new Buick Saber. That was my Trump reference. Come on. Uh, but yeah, so that's very exciting. So we're, we're moving these four so we can move on to almost, well, almost to our, we'll be almost to our centennial issue. Not our centennial issue. It's theirs. Well, yeah, but we are Avengers, right? Yeah. Honorary members, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're Rick, we're both Rick Jones. <laughs> <laughs> that is episode 38. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can send us email, mail at avenginghour.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Avenging Hour. Uh, we have a website that's AvengingHour.com. It's, you know, we're pretty easy to find. You know, I just realized after reading the Liberators issue, should we change our email address to female at AvengingHour.com? Female. Should it be? I mean, it seems male at AvengingHour.com. I don't want any of our listeners to think they can't write to us. Is that like Iron Man? F-E male? Iron male? Iron Man? <laughs> wow. Huge jump in logic there. <laughs> wow. All right, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>